You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Second Peter kind of comes from Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 3, where Peter encourages the people that he's writing to, that he's encouraging to, he's writing to stir them up to be remembering the things that God has promised, both the things that he's written, but also the things that he's prophesied about. And it's something that applies to the individual. It's also something that applies to uh, how we interact with others. One of the most important roles we have as a person who's following Jesus is to be following him ourselves, and then to be encouraging other people to follow as we follow Christ. It's not about an individual, uh, an individual person being like the boss of people, like look at, look at all my disciples. It's more a, I'm a disciple and I'm an encouraging person towards those who are, being, who are also being disciples. We all need to be encouraged. We all need to be built up. And Peter's just reminding us, stir yourself up, stir up others as well. This does not mean to provoke or to antagonize, in case you're wondering. To encourage. And it also, a lot of the time when we see instructions in scripture, it's important to remember this is being written to people who belong to Jesus. And often we can get off the rails when we try to apply the teachings of Jesus and tell people who don't belong to him or follow him yet, you need to get with, start doing this. Like somehow, some way, we can get bent out of shape because we see people who aren't Christians living like they're not. And we like harp on them. That's not our role, people. Our role is to live such good lives so that if and when people speak negatively about Jesus or they speak negatively about you, the evidence is far outweighed by the way that you live. We're not harpers on people. We are people who are encouragers. Does that make sense? Oh, good. Themes that we're looking for in First and Second Peter. Persevering in suffering as we follow Christ. The challenge to put our hope in Christ as the one who's our source of life will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, looking for the reminder to be obedient to Christ in all things and to put, put into practice what you know. You don't have to know everything, but do what you know. And then also live holy in every area of your life. Live set apart to God like you belong to him. Okay? Last week's, what we talked about, the sum up, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25, was be holy because of God's great love for you. And through Christ, you can imitate him to be holy as he is. Not as a separator, like all the things you don't do, but to dedicate everything in your life and the way that you live to Christ because of his love for you, that you can do this with joy. And it's not something that you're missing out on. It's actually something that brings life. Number two, to love one another. Because you have been paid for, you've been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ, live and love and care for one another. Treat them as you would want to be treated. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And start, as it says in Scripture, start with those who belong to Jesus. Because if we can't even do it there, we're not going to do it out, out in the world anyway. And by the way, I don't know if, if you've ever been the person where you're very kind or at least nice to strangers, but you're a Hellion when it comes to people who are close to you, where everyone else gets the best of you, and then your family gets Shrek ticked off. I know you don't know what I'm talking about, but there's this guy who lives with Joni. His name's Louie. And I can tell you, at various times in my life, that has been a struggle because I know she ain't going anywhere. And that's good. We've committed to each other. But don't let the fact that they're not going anywhere and they're stuck with you be the reason why you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. 
misapplication. That's misquoting. That's not a scripture, but it's misquoting. Love those who are closest to you as well. I don't know who that's for. Maybe it's just a reminder for Louis. It could be. It happens. We read this last week, but I'm going to read it again. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through, 1 through 3. It says, as a result, or because of this, because of the challenge, we're to live holy, we're to love one another. Put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What will get in the way of you doing what you've been instructed to do in 1 Peter chapter 1 is your flesh. And I'm not just talking about this physical body. I'm talking about the part of you that will actively, actively resist the things of God. The part of you that does not want to obey the part of you that looks for and comes up with the best, most creative excuses in the world as to why you can't do it, that's your flesh. The things that will get in the way of loving one another is malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. It's like these are things, these are stumbling blocks. Think of them as Legos in the dark that you're trying to avoid. Turn the lights on and remove them from your path that you may walk unscathed. That's what... That's, our current reality right now, the things, the landmines that are around. But it's, very, it's a very clear picture. We are called by God to take a good look and to look in the mirror and say, here's what I'm wrestling with. And if you don't know, there may be a person who you trust, it might be a spouse, might be someone you're in close relationship with or friendship, and they tell you, here's what I see. In 2004, I remember I having a conversation with a very dear brother named Brother Ben, my brother. He's not just a brother. He's my brother, brother. And we were talking, and he said, I just got to tell you something. I'm having a really hard time spending time with you. And he's the youngest of four, so I'm waiting. For, I'm the oldest. Okay, what are you going to blame me for now, Ben? You know, that's just the way it worked. And he said, you're, you're negative. You're negative. The words you speak are negative. You always find the negative. I'm discerning, Ben. That's what it is. So, immediately wants to rise up inside you. It's like, no, let me tell you. Let me tell you why I'm not. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, yeah, what he's saying is true. He's just speaking the truth in love that helps us to grow up. And I have, since that day, I told him about it at lunch this week when he bought me lunch for my birthday. You can't not enjoy your birthday if there's chicken wings at Bullies involved. And I told him, I said, thank you so much for being willing to go there with me. Who knows how I'm going to respond? You tell a negative person that they're negative? Think about that possible outcome there. He wasn't just talking. He was speaking the truth and love to me. It's like, I'm going to put away negativity. And I can tell you this. Years later, when I, people will come up and say, thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for building me up. Thank you for speaking life. It's not because I, I play patty cake and I'm trying to just be, I just, you know, be kind one to another. Try not to run people over. I'm intentionally saying I'm taking that which could be negative, and I'm going to look for that which is positive because you will find what you look for. And if you're looking for things to praise people about, to encourage them about, you will find them. But if you're looking for negative things, you will find those too. And they're not nearly as fun, and they make you bitter. Like bad vinegar. Good vinegar, it goes great on a salad. It's nice with fish and chips, but bad vinegar, the kind that spoils, it's like, eh, don't be that. Is that okay? 
Okay. All right. One of the things that were intended to grow up, I did a little study. In 1880, the average American man was five foot six. Yes. But in 1980, the average American man was five foot ten. What changed? Thank you for asking me. The quality of nutrition and health care. The fact that in a hundred years, people learned to eat better, it was more regular, and their, the, people did not experience the same illnesses that they had experienced in the 1880s. In the same way, malice and envy and slander and all this out-of-control anger can serve as things that stunt our growth in Christ and can keep us from going to the full measure and stature, as it says in Scripture, the full measure and stature of Christ. We could live stunted and not even know it. Back in 1880, everybody was just this, you know, the little guys. Let's talk about George Washington. You know, that's 100 years before. He was six foot four at a time when, like, the average height was five, 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 six. He was gigante. He was huge. We want the tall guy to be our, that's a, a, a classic human thing. We always want the tall guy. It's not the only reason we like to keep Moses around here because he's the giant. But it, we, it, it yeah, anyway, I'll just leave it there. I love you, brother. I want to show you a picture. This is not an actual picture. This is a depiction, okay? Can you kill the lights up there, John, so we can see better? Hey, this is the gates of hell. Okay, that's actually a name that was referred to as a location in Caesarea Philippi. And what you can't see is kind of behind where that temple in the, or on the left is, there's a big cave. And historically... During the, going back to the, in the olden days, this was a center of the worship of fertility gods, or the, the god Baal. And then later on in Greco-Roman times, it was a center of the worship of the god Pan, which is basically people would go and they would let their freak flag fly, do anything you could think of sexually, and it was just a wild place where religious ceremonies were incorporated with sexual rituals. It was also later on, uh, inc they incorporated emperor worship. So for every good Jewish boy who wanted to follow after the, the Torah, follow after the commandments, you were told you do not go to these places because this is the entryway to hell. The very gates of hell. This is where all they, they would um, think or, or, or say that these gods that they serve, this is where they go in the wintertime. They go and they hide back in there. I tell you this because in Matthew chapter 16, how did we get there? I'll tell you in a second. Matthew chapter 16, the writer of First and Second Peter, his name was? Peter. Yes, he's with his Lord and Savior, Jesus, and he's walking with the disciples. And Jesus takes them to this particular place. And they're standing on the cliff above the gates of hell. They're teenage boys. Keep in mind, most of the disciples, when they're called, would be between the ages of 13 and 20. They're where they're not supposed to be, but Jesus took them. If their moms could see them now, they may be kind of re-examining, should we have allowed our boys to follow Jesus when he said, come follow me? You know, when I, it's one of those things when uh, Jesus said, come follow me. And they said, where are we going? He said, come and see. The moms didn't pursue. Can we get, clarify a little bit more? You're taking my son to the gates of hell? Who knows what could happen there? And Jesus' question to Peter and the other disciples is, who do people say that I am? And some people said, John the Baptist, 
uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Other guy said, uh, they say you're a good guy and a good teacher. And Jesus said, okay, that, okay. who do you say that I am? Simon gets a lot of, of heat, a lot of flack, because he is so willing to put his foot into it and put his mouth into it. But he also is the first one to step forward in faith. And he says here, I know, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed one. You are the son of the most high God. And Jesus says, that's right. And you are Simon, son of Jonah. Simon in Hebrew means to hear or to listen. And he says, but now I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock or stone. And on this rock, on this confession that you just made, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and anything you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Anything you bind on earth we bound in heaven. Now don't tell anybody who I am. And Peter's like, he just changed my name. I went from listening guy to Rocky. <laughs> and it's not that, you know, Jesus is going to build his church on Peter. It's on the confession, on what Peter said. What we find out in the book of Mark is the next thing that Peter said. Jesus says, I'm going to be taken to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified and, and killed. And Peter says, guys, I got this. Jesus, we can't let you go. You got so much to do, so many things to fulfill. And Jesus says to the one who he has just commended, get behind me, Satan. You don't know the spirit that you're of. He went from look at me to don't look at me. I have to believe that this interaction that Jesus had with Simon Peter, not just giving him a new name or an addition to his name, it was something that had a profound effect on the rest of Peter's life is I am part of the stone. I am part of the rock. I'm part of the foundation. That is me now. We look at the scriptures. Where we go next? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. This is what Peter writes. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do so. Peter has rocks on the head. And the reason he does is because it was such a significant moment for him. And he tells them, you know what? You're going to be coming to, let's see. I want them to see that they're a part of something you're, you're going to come to the living stone. You're going to come to the one that is the center of this. And then as you come to him, you're going to be built up as living stones that offer a spiritual sacrifice through the way that you live. And then he quotes prophecy, Psalm 118 and Isaiah chapter 28. Remember earlier I had mentioned that the whole theme of this is stirred up so you can remember the prophecies that have been spoken? Here's a couple of them. The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Become the cornerstone. I get excited about this. So many words want to come out of my mouth. <laughs> become the cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? 
I'm so glad you're asking all the right questions this morning. The cornerstone is the stone that they take the most time with because everything else that they build in that building or that wall is based upon that cornerstone. And if that cornerstone is not shaped right, if if it's out of whack, the entire building will be a waste. And the religious leaders and the world that has existed at that time rejected that cornerstone of Christ and threw it away. But God said, this is my chosen precious cornerstone, and he established it. And then he said, anyone who comes to this will be built as a living stone on the foundation of Christ, not on good moral attempts, not on quote unquote good theology, but the practice of living out obedience to Christ. Because what we believe actually shows up in the way that we act. We can divorce ourselves from having a, a faith that's up here and not have it show up here. If I can't love my brother who I can see, I cannot love my God who I can't. So when I come to him, he builds me into the stone that is going to be built on the stone of Christ. And he builds on that. And we are a part of something. We are not the only thing, but we are a part of something. We're a part of a group of people of every tribe, every nation, of every tongue. Men and women, old and young, from every place on the whole planet, set apart to bring glory to God and to be stacked together as stones. And I love this analogy. My friend Tim, right back here, shared this years ago. We can't touch all the stones in the wall that were being built, but we can sure touch the ones that are closest to us. We can't do everything, but there are stones. Like if you're placed in that wall, there are several stones around you. That's who God puts in your life for you to pour your life into. And sometimes those stones change over time. People change over time, but the actions do not. Can I get a right on in here? Yeah. There's a, this is why I'm talking fast. This is good. Peter was excited. He didn't dwell on the idea of what he'd, how he'd messed up. He recognized that was all a part of him being shaped as a living stone. And it says, those who disobey are destined to stumble. And it wasn't that God just intended, there's going to be a bunch of them I don't care about. They're just going to stumble. But he says, if you don't obey, you will stumble. You will trip over Jesus. And that's what happens over and over and over. But for those who have responded, those who have brought themselves and submitted themselves to God, those who have come to God through Christ by faith and the grace, he says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You belong in the family of Christ. There is a place for you. In, in Psalms, there's, I forget which one it is, but it, there's 150 of them. So it's in there. It says one of the things that God does is he places the solitary in families. I love it when God brings families here. But I also love it when he brings people who are coming in in ones and twos. Because he puts us together, and together we create this, it's a mosaic that God puts together. I love to see people gravitating towards and including and involving people who aren't in their nuclear family, who maybe they don't know anything about other than they, they want to pursue Jesus. Real fellowship does not happen when you just hang out with your friends. Real fellowship is when you get an elf, a dwarf, a couple of hobbits, and a couple of guys, people who have great hatred towards each other, who would not trust each other, who have a history of of lies and deceit, but they have a higher purpose that they're called to, so they lay that down and they pursue that. 
And that is what Christianity is. Regardless of where you've been, I acknowledge we have enmity in our background. We have hatred. We have racism. We have uh, misogyny. We have all sorts of stuff that separates us. But in Christ, we fellowship and come to him together. And that's what church is. Not hanging out with people who are like us, but hanging out with people who want to pursue Jesus. If this was about me, you'd all be wearing black. You'd be really sad Giants fans. And now, you know... We wouldn't want to be here anyway. We want to, anyway, got, this is about him, and that's what we rally about. I love the imagery. You're chosen. You're royal. You're holy. You're his tribe. And everything is so that we're called, not so we can look at the world and say, look at us, but so we can say, let's give glory to God, because as we do, it makes people point to him. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we are God's workmanship created in him to bring glory to him through our good works. Our theme verse as a church, Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16, goes into detail that God calls us to recognize we are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light so shine before people so that when they see what you're doing, they give glory to God. That's our lives. I'm going to close with this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners or travelers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When you are spoken neg negatively of, when you are maligned, when you are misunderstood, may your life be a testament against it. May people look at it and say, I don't care what they say. What I see here is something good. The man who was, um, he was born blind and he comes to Jesus and he, he says, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals him. It causes all sorts of trouble because the religious leaders at that time believed he was a 40-year-old man who was blind because he sinned or his parents sinned. And Jesus said, that's not why he was blind. He was blind so that the glory of God could be seen today. That's what it was. They eventually end up calling the, the blind guy, want to give testimony. They say, we want you to tell us about this guy. The guy who healed you, he's a sinner. He's untrustworthy. He's a rebel. He's a person that cannot be trusted. And the guy says, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know anything about that because God only works through righteous people like that. What I can tell you is that I was blind, but now I can see. And the testimony, you're trying to run Jesus down. All I can say is he reached someone who, was felt, who felt as though they were marginalized and cursed in our society, and he elevated me and brought me into relationship and fellowship. May it be so with us too. Let's bow our heads. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that applies your word to our heart and to our lives. I would ask that you would uh, cause your word to be written deeply into our soul, that it will... Uh, just be this indelible mark that affects everything about how we treat people and about how we live and about how we bring glory to you. May we see that it affects every aspect of our lives. May we see that it affects every way we treat our family, the people we interact with, the way we do our job, all those things. And may we see that we're here and our highest purpose is to bring glory to you in all we do. Thank you for your word for that, that is true. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for the new life available in you. Thank you that we can come to you and be shaped as living stones 
Lord Jesus, to offer spiritual worship to you by the way that we live and act towards you and towards others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's going to be prayer available afterwards right back here at the white trellis. I also want to let you know if you've never started a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to kind of help you get started there. In our entryway, we've got a couple of, of resources we'd love to give you if that's where you're at. If you wanted to say yes to Jesus, we have something called yes packets. If you've never started with Jesus and you want to, grab one of those yes packets and we... What it does is kind of gives you a, a breakdown. This is what it means to start following Jesus and to kind of come along uh, and participate in the tribe that we belong to. Does that make sense? All right. Let me say, as we close, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Have a great rest of your Sunday. God bless you. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.